0: Good morning, everyone. Let's open up with prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. And uh, Lord, to, to learn from your word. Lord, and from your word to speak to all of us. And for you to just be glorified, Lord. And I just thank you for the sacrifices that you made during your passion, as Dave pointed out, and that you did it all for us. And Lord, I just pray that you will speak to us this morning and help us to live lives that show just how much we appreciate and we love you and we honor you. Amen. Okay, so if you want to turn to John 20, we'll be picking it up in uh, 19, if, uh, if you would like to follow along. So as we've been going through the book, we've discovered that uh, the disciples' world has been rocked. At this point, they, uh, some of them still probably believe that Jesus is dead. They believe that their fearless leader has uh, left them, and they're hiding in the, in the room. We don't know if it's an upper room or wherever, but we just know that the doors are closed and they're hiding for fear of the Jewish leaders. So to me it sounds like they still think he's, uh, he's not, not with them, that he has not risen. But we do know that, uh, that John and Simon Peter, they did go to the tomb. They did see that it was empty. And But this is where we are now, as we pick up from where Wade left off last week. So if we would... Uh, like to pick it up and we'll just see it with the, with the mindset of just uh, how much the disciples would need to, what they'd be processing at this point as they were with Jesus for three years and in the last three days, just everything got rocked. So we'll pick it up, uh, John twenty nineteen. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples sorry, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them, "Again, "Peace be with you." Jesus' presence here was more than enough for the disciples. He showed up, and not only did he show up in their presence. One thing that I find very, very interesting and very cool is that without them asking, without them being like, you know, okay, you're in the room, well, prove it now, prove it, he willingly shows them his wounds. Without any prodding, without any ask, he shows them his wounds. Jesus came here in this setting. He was not looking for a reprimand on the disciples. He wasn't waiting for them to show doubt. He wasn't waiting for them to to show just how human they are. He came for one reason and one reason only in this setting. And that is to show compassion to His followers that were hurting at this time and that they needed to know that He was risen and that He was with them. And... That his love remains with them, and he was reassuring them that the mission was not over. And along with that, that all hope was not lost. This was Jesus, re, uh, in my words, reinstating the disciples. When you think your leader's dead, and when you think everything's lost, and you think it's over, and you need to be reinstated. You need to be, re- and these they were being reinstated in my mind here. Jesus, I love the just the love he showed just by not waiting for them, but he's like walks through the locked doors. Here I am. Here's my wounds. I love you. I'm with you. We keep reading in John. Uh, pick it up in verse 21. And Jesus says to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now please understand here that this, Some churches do take this, I believe, to mean something that is not being communicated here. Um, as you know, I, I grew up Catholic. I had to go through the steps. and One of the steps is, you know, you have your first com- communion, you have your confession, and all these different things, and the priest forgives your sins. I have, no, I have no belief that that's what is being said here. Now, if you want to flip to Mark uh, 2, verse 5, I'm going to read a little bit. But we know that only God can forgive sins. So when we take this in context, we have to understand that this cannot mean that he's telling these disciples that forgiveness of sins is now in their hands. It's not in anyone's hands who is a human. That's reserved for God and God alone. So Mark 2, 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to, to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they had a very valid point in saying that. But however, it, it all falls apart when when, uh, because they were speaking to God. So in that case, Jesus is saying, Well, yeah, only God can forgive sins and I am He. So it's all good. But humans cannot ever be put in that spot. So that's my point today: that we are not God; we cannot forgive sins; we have no abilities in that way. But if we look at it, when it uh, in the from the Greek, and I am no Greek scholar. That is absolutely I barely mastered English. I I basically consider myself non-lingual, not bilingual. Non-lingual languages were not my thing, but. Uh, When I did my research here, the Greek phrases, or what they translate into English, but for they are forgiven and it is withheld, are apparently perfect tense verbs in Greek. So at the end of the day, what does that mean to us here? Well, what that means is that with this understanding, these phrases would refer more to completed past actions with continuing results in the present. So, when he is talking about the, the, the ability to forgive sins, Jesus did that work, that is done, and he's continually doing that work as as we've asked for forgiveness of sins, whether we're Christians re-repenting, uh, potentially on a daily basis, or a new believer coming and repenting and forgiving sins. Jesus is continually doing that. But what it's saying here in the context is that it's just our mission to go forward and tell people about where to get the forgiveness. And that that is our role in this. Uh, and that's uh, in those passages that is more what it's getting from. I know it's confusing when you read it at first and you think, ooh, what, what does that say? What does that mean? That's where some of you got to just dig a little deeper and see. Um, and by the way, study Bibles and different stuff like that is amazing for those times when you're like, what, what is going on there? But, so if we see it as, as it was written in the Greek and in the tenses and everything, it makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? Um, so let's leave, uh, let's leave the authority with God and uh, allow Him to continue to forgive sins and we'll just continue to tell people about Him. So in the first section, we saw that Jesus reinstated and reassured His disciples. And uh, now we see that Jesus used this opportunity to empower His disciples. So let's read again, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now we know that uh, the disciples had to wait until Pentecost to actually receive the Holy Spirit here. You know, maybe this was a a foretaste. Maybe this was just... um, The promise, I'm not... We don't fully understand everything. I don't know why Jesus chose to breathe on them. I hope he had good breath when he did it. But he... It's... uh, But he... We know that the promise was there. We know that they did receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And that is... uh, So, in this instance, I look at it more as an empowerment. That he is giving them that power. And he's saying and like i spoke on earlier that i am with you through the holy spirit we got a mission to do let's go do it and uh and uh he had to they had to wait a little bit and trust in him in that area that he would send it but he definitely did and if you want to read in acts you can see that and this is a This is a promise that continues, by the way. This is not a promise. Some promises in the Bible are very much for the people that were being spoken to at that particular time. But if you call yourself disciples of Jesus today, that also applies to you. The Holy Spirit is available for you. The empowerment and the strength that he gives to do the work that he has called us to do is available. And and it's not... It didn't just die with them. So now we'll move on to verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the Twin, was not with them when Jesus came. That is the first time. So the other disciples told him, "We have seen the Lord." But he said to them, "Unless I see, uh, sorry, but uh, unless I see in His hands." the mark of the nails and place my finger into the into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side i will never believe 8 days later his disciples were again inside and thomas was with them although the doors were locked jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you then he said to thomas put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said uh, to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the the popular verse where people kind of gang pile on Thomas and say, oh, he's the doubter. He's the doubter. And, you know, (laughs) that's kind of a a sucky legacy to have. You know, (laughs) basically, when you mention Thomas's name, everyone just assumes and associates him as the the doubter. Is that a fair... uh, Thing to, to, to hold for him it, it's, it's sad that that's the way it is but I would like to say that his lasting memory shouldn't be that it, if we place ourselves in, the, in Thomas's situation I think we would all be in the same place you have to remember Thomas was with him and he what he knows is that Jesus was taken captive beaten, nailed to a cross stabbed and died and you know so we put ourselves legitimately in his shoes you know you could you could see where where he's coming from can't you now his friends you know said, well he appeared to us and the room was locked and we don't know how he got in well eh, you know Thomas it's easy to think well oh, may, maybe they saw a ghost well would everyone in the room see a ghost at the same time well you know, if you, if you put himself in a, a position of grief that he was in, and it's it's very easy to have compassion on Thomas here. To see that, okay, he had he had some legitimate points. And you know what? When I read the scriptures, I see that Jesus saw that too. And that's awesome. And if we look at it, How did it go down? Once again, from what we know, from what is written, there is no mention that, oh, the doubter, he he asked for, for for Jesus to show him. Now Jesus shows up in the room right away, says, Thomas, you come here. Put your hands right there and put your other hand right here. Jesus shows compassion. He sees the true Thomas. He knows the true Thomas. The true Thomas that was with him from the beginning. Now, if we uh, let's get a, a better picture of Thomas. If you want to go to Matthew 10, verse 16. <clears throat> This is the orientation that basically the the disciples got when they were uh, first following Jesus. Most of us would have ran away if this was an orientation to a job or to an invitation to a church or to anything. But this is their orientation, basically speech. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, I will be given or you will be given what to say, for it will be not you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So basically, Thomas was the guy, one of the guys, who said, yeah, I'm in for that. So, doubting Thomas fitting? Not so much. Thomas was a sincere disciple. We also see him take a stand later. And it says... uh, When uh, in the story, when uh, they were Lazarus was dead, and Jesus was wanting to go to the funeral, and they say, "But Rabbi," they say, "A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back." His disciples replied, "The Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better." Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought it. So Thomas got obviously a bad reputation that he didn't deserve, and I think we all would react the same way that Thomas would in those situations. And so, like during my talks at the youth youth conference, I had mentioned many times that people don't die for things that are not true, that they are not 100%, 200% committed to, and that they are not just full of confidence about. But if we keep looking at, at the history of Thomas, he was the most active disciple east of Syria. Tradition has him going as far as East India, where he was eventually... Uh, ran through with the spears of four soldiers for his faith. So let's remember that in the context. So now you see true Thomas. So the question becomes, what caused him in this situation to kind of doubt? And if you look at the... the that we had of the first account when Jesus showed up in the room, when Thomas wasn't there, you got to remember, Jesus instantly showed his wounds and his his hands and his side to them. They never asked either. Thomas wasn't there, so I view it as basically he was saying, "Well, you guys got your chance to to see that. You know, I'll, I'll wait to believe when I get to see." it for myself and that's where Jesus showed him compassion and came and showed him the wounds. So if we view if we put ourselves in and look at doubt this morning there are a lot of activities that we do or people we know do constantly that we don't doubt. And sometimes you've got to wonder why we don't. So if we are driving in our car and we drive through and there's a green light, we just rip through that intersection. We have no doubt. We don't think, oh, someone's going to go through it. We don't, it's not even a thought. We just go through it, it's green, it's our turn. We're busy, busy on our way. We're going. I am not one of these people, but some people like to skydive or be paratroopers and they're jumping out of planes on, all the time. There's, I bet you, there's someone falling from the sky right now, somewhere in the world, and he has full faith that his parachute's going to open. Not only open, but open correctly. As if it opens and it kind of only partially opens, he, you're still in trouble. Your your legs are going through your skull. Um, so, but they don't think about it. They just they just jump. They don't doubt it. I imagine that most of us, if not all of us, have flown in a plane. You don't doubt that that huge hunk of metal with all that body weight is going to stay up in the sky. That air is going to hold it. Not too many people doubt it. There are some people who are afraid to fly. But It's thousands upon thousands, millions of people fly. Don't doubt it. Not at all. So we put no thought into our next breath. Or our next heartbeat. We just don't doubt that it's going to come. One day, it's not going to come. But we don't doubt it. We just think, oh, it's going to keep going. So now I'd like to pause for a minute. I'd like everyone here to think, quietly reflect on all the times that you've doubted Jesus and doubted God. So let's take that time. Continue to think about it. <clears throat> think of the circumstances around these times of doubt. Looking back on them, now with the knowledge that we have and the hope that we have in Jesus and the knowledge of the Bible as a whole, when we are saying we are believers, we are disciples. Just like Thomas, does it make any sense with everything that we are armed with to doubt? In my experiences, it never, never adds up. It's just a random moment of doubt. When do they happen? Well, for a lot of us, and myself included, it happens <laughs> when we're not so close to God when we're not walking with him we're not in with him or and this usually goes hand in hand moments of sin usually that happens also when we're further away from God than we, we should be any you know frustration anything that brings us to that kind of darker place and we leave an opening and all of a sudden just When we are so confident in what we know, we know Jesus, we know that he is our Savior, we know this is all true, and then you get that random little moment of of doubt, and you don't even know where it came from sometimes, just sitting there thinking of absolutely nothing, which I can do a lot, just sitting there and the brain's totally empty, and all of a sudden, doubt, it's like, where did it come from? Ask yourself that, where did it come from? They put yourself in your situations, what you have answered to yourself and said when you were doubting i have to I have to believe that those are moments when the devil the adversary interjected and kind of. Just trying to put that little wedge in there. Just trying. You have to shut it down. As soon as possible. It isn't truth. It's doubt. You know what's true. So don't doubt. The devil will put that in there. He will try to draw you down. There's occasionally times when if you have a lack of knowledge in something and you doubt it. Use it as a faith-growing exercise to get the information you need. Information, knowledge, whatever you want to call it, is not an enemy of Christians. It is an ally. Because it's truth. Everything that we have, any question you have, if you find the truth about it, and you look up the information about it with an open heart, an open mind, it will lead you to biblical truths. That what God said, what Jesus said is true. So don't be scared of those types of doubt. If you have a question and you just need more information, find it. Find somebody to help you to find it. Do whatever you have to do. Just get the answer. But we all know there's those times where it has nothing to do with knowledge. You already know it. And the devil puts that little thought in there. And that's what I'm talking about. There is a spiritual battle going on. If you are unaware of that, That is exactly where the devil would like you to be. On the bench, no threat, inactive, so-called believer. If you believe in Jesus Christ and His work and what He's done, you're not on the bench. You're active. You're doing something for your Lord. Not works that save you But works that say, thank you. Thank you for giving me this salvation, this life. And work that is derived because you have no other choice because your heart says, I want to serve and I want to work and I want other people to know what I know. And you want other people to know the compassion and the love of Christ that He has shown to us. Don't ever be selfish with that. Any of it. If you want to flip to Matthew 4, (coughs) I'd like to give a little reading here to see, just to prove to you that you shall not put your Lord, your God, to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and only shall you, or him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So, if you can see how the devil was working here, trying to twist scripture, to put doubt, just just to get Jesus off. If the devil is bold enough to have a devil versus Jesus match, don't ever doubt that he will gladly have a devil versus you match it's common if you're a believer it should have already came and happened and it will happen again and again and again and the more you step out to serve it'll happen more and more and more welcome it sharpen yourself as uh, a <laughs> brother mark says sharpen iron with iron, not with iron, iron cannot be sharpened by driftwood. So, let's be sharp. Let's be ready. It's coming. And, don't doubt. Just, you know the truth. Take hold of that. There is nothing, there should be nothing that will shake you from that. And if you are in those moments, and, uh, You're having a hard time, call on you know, your fellow Christians, your fellow believers. They'll walk beside you, they'll help you, and usually it's not the it's not the truth you're doubting, it's not Jesus you're doubting, it's just you're in hurting circumstances. Or and the devil is using it against you. So let's just remember this in closing that Jesus reassured his disciples. By appearing to them, he empowered them to do his work on earth, and he showed compassion to Thomas during a moment of doubt. All these things will translate to us if we are willing and able, well, we are able, if we're willing to serve and step out with him. He's just waiting to enable us, empower us, and to be with us. I'll uh, call the worship leaders up at this time, and if you want to go to the uh, last couple of verses of the passages in John, here. <clears throat> this this just needs to be read. And nothing more needs to be said. My title says why John wrote this book. Jesus worked many other miracles for his disciples. Not all of them are written in this book, but these are written so that you may put your faith in Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. If you have faith in him, you will have true life. If you are not sure that you have true life this morning, if you are not sure if you are a disciple this morning, if you just need someone to pray with you this morning, whatever, just talk, whatever, I'll be right here while they're uh, playing the song. Feel free to come up, then or after, it doesn't matter. And uh, I'd be happy to pray with you, talk with you, and help you out. for this glorious message that you brought forth to us. Thank you, Lord Father, for challenging us in our doubt. Thank you, Lord Father, for the words that Trevor has brought forth to give us comfort and strength, Lord Father. The truth is what sets us free from this doubt. Oh, Lord Father, how can we doubt when you've revealed yourself so clearly to us through the prophets and, and the writings and your son? But Lord Father, as our brother has, has brought forth, that there, there is an enemy, we do not war against flesh and blood, but the powers and principalities in the air, and Lord Father, he would have us doubt you. He would have us doubt the Lord Jesus and his crucifixion, crucifixion and his resurrection. But Lord Father, help us to always return to the truth, to overcome this doubt and believe. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.